Welcome to the Find the Way podcast. In this show, we will try to explore what is happening in emerging markets and how entrepreneurs, investors, and communities are simply finding the way to make phenomenal things happen, regardless how volatile the environment may sometimes seem. I'm super excited to present to you today to Carmen de la Serra. Carmen is the managing partner at Point Trip Ventures, a firm that seeks to identify, mentor, and invest in the best early-stage startup founders in Latin America. Recently, Point Trip Ventures announced it is launching its second fund, making the first institutional venture capital fund operating out of Ecuador and investing throughout Latin America. Carmen's mission is to transform at the fundamental level the region and throughout technology. She works with founders, mentors, and investors in Ecuador and abroad in order to provide access to knowledge, networks, and capital to companies with high growth potential. How's it going over there in, in Quito? Quito today is very sunny, as you can see in the background. It's, it's a very nice way to start the year, and it's crazy. It's January is almost done by now, so... And what is the holiday season in Ecuador? Is it like in Argentina that the holiday season starts basically after after Christmas? The holiday season? So summer okay. holiday season. Let's say compared no, to Europe, no, no, we no. Have the main holiday season is July, August. No, schools go out in summer. That's uh, from July to August. So now uh, holidays okay. is just Christmas, New Year's, and then everybody starts working again and then children go to school again. So... Okay, okay. so you say the, the way that I'm used to saying summer, but over here now being in, in Buenos Aires, it takes a little while to get used to saying summer is now in middle of January, and typically I'm, I'm used to be freezing in negative 20 degrees back in Finland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. us being in the equator, it's actually two seasons, the rainier one and the drier one, but you can have rain and it, it can be sunny within two hours. And really, there's not much change throughout the years. It's just holidays happen with the Northern Hemisphere schedule. Nice. Uh, I prefer that. Maybe I got traumatized back in back in the darkness and coldness of Finland as, as growing up. But cool. I'm super excited to have this chat today with you, Carmen. You've been playing the game from Ecuador. You've been developing the ecosystem for a while now over there. So I'm super excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining, Carmen. Thank you, Eric, for having me. And I'm very excited to, to share what we've been up to, what I've been up to for the past couple of years, building the ecosystem down here in Ecuador. Nice. Would you be able to give a little intro on your own words to the audience? Who's Carmen and, and what are you currently doing at Buentre Ventures? In a nutshell, I would say I'm a designer turned PC. So in my past life, I used to be a graphic designer, a communications designer. That's what I studied in undergrad. That's what I worked on for a couple of years after I graduated. Um, but always wanting to get my hands dirty into strategy and why things are done the way they are in, in companies and in startups. So I pivoted my career towards uh, entrepreneurship a couple of years back. And that led me to do a master's degree in a business school and then start a very, very brief journey as a founder, a fintech founder. Um, and now I can see how, how that was doomed to fail, but that opened up the door to, to work at Web3 in the earlier years of what 
Wintrip was doing. And now I'm a managing partner at Wintrip Ventures, where we're actively investing in software companies in Latin America. Nice. Would you be able to give a couple examples and reasons why was it doomed to fail the first venture you basically embarked upon? Uh, we were five founders, none of them tech founders, no developer, no, no, no non-technical founders, five very diverse in, in terms of geography, where we came from, backgrounds, but as I say, non-tech, building a tech company and, and with different timing in terms of our personal lives and priorities. So five's a bunch when you get it's, to it's a analyze a team um, and, and non-technical. Basically, that would sum up what, what I see was wrong. And now if you would be able to do it all over again, what would be the dream amount of co-founders? I would say two is a good number. Three is, is, is got good also. Um, but definitely to have a tech founder and a, and a business or, or someone who knows the industry you're, you're embarking on, that makes is, is ideal. And we had none of those or, or. Yeah, we had none of those. It, it was just a, a good idea and a bunch of master, master degree students they starting something. Cool. I, I bet it was a great learning experience. And here you are now at Buen Trip Ventures. You have been one of the first received VCs from Ecuador. Am I right? And would you be able to share a little bit about your story when we were Having our intro call, you were mentioning that you went all the way from co-working space that little by little you started going towards an accelerator and from there you ended up being a fund. So yeah. could you share a little bit more about that journey? Of course, as a, as a friend, when Trip didn't start looking to raise a fund and to, and to invest out of a, a fund or, or become professional investors. Uh, when they started out wanting to give back, wanting to build an ecosystem where there wasn't really uh, founders providing knowledge, founders providing access to networks, uh, there was a, a bunch of founders, but uh, no, not not really a cohesive ecosystem where they could land and grow. So when Trip started uh, sharing three things, we call it in Spanish uh, las tres sedes del emprendimiento, which is Contactos, conocimiento y capital, in English, contacts, networks, and capital. And, and when we started, we really didn't, the capital part was access to capital. Um, and, and we started actually as a physical space, a co-working space where we aimed to attract founders, their startups, ideas, and give out uh, workshops and, and three-day startups, uh, events. And so we started giving out mentorships uh, at night when the founders had time and mentors of our network. So ended up to their day jobs and went headed down to Wintrip to give out mentorship to startups that were starting their companies. So there was the Wintrip a day, which was a co-working space that ended up attracting designers and freelancers, digital nomads. But not really many founding startup founding teams. 
And at night, we got to see uh, the real work being being done, right? So we, we gave mm-hmm. up mentorship to, to more than 70 or 80 startups throughout a couple of years. And, and then we realized that we were doing day in, day out, giving out sort of the same mentorships, giving out the same uh, knowledge, reaching out to the same mentors to, to give it out in, for, for startup one, two, three, four. Uh, so we were eroding our mentor base mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and decided to standard, standardize that mentorship program into an acceleration program. And uh, that's how we launched the first cohort-based acceleration program at Wintrip. It's called El Programa. And in what and, years were those? When was the first part initiated? And when did this accelerator start happening? The the acceleration, uh, we launched it in 2021. This year is going to be our third cohort. That's We're starting in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the mentorship program ran four years before that. And so we did did a bunch of in-person tailor-made programs for 70 startups before our acceleration program. So 2021st, we took that big step and that was the same year that we decided to launch a Wentry Ventures Fund 1. Because as we went through the mentorship program, the Wentry founders, my partners, Felipe Cheriak and Fernando Rivera, started writing angel checks. Of course, we saw Diamonds in the rough as we mentored them, and we were the first one in as angels. But that, of course, ha- has its its limits. Angel angel pockets aren't as deep as a fund, and so we decided as we built the, the accelerator to contribute part of that portfolio into the fund and then raise additional capital to continue to. Uh, support not only the, the startups that we were already invested in, but to to invest in new ones. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's how Fund One was uh, born. It's it's a prototype fund where we have twenty three companies. Uh, we're fully deployed, and it's mostly Ecuadorian founders. Uh, we wanted to prove the thesis that we could identify, mentor, and invest in Ecuadorian founders, Ecuadorian startups. And, and I think we we proved that to ourselves, and also we wanted to prove our, to, to prove that uh, we could, uh, as a team, identify and invest in the in the best startups out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, if you would be able to elaborate, how how big is the game of technology in Ecuador? How much venture funding is being deployed on an annual basis? Would you be able to give some numbers? And how many companies are, let's say, considered as, as startups in the region? Okay, so in terms of numbers, I wouldn't have them right now. We're actually building a, the first a, report a, with Equacap mm-hmm. that was born last year. Equacap is the Ecuadorian Venture Capital Association, private capital association. And we're starting to gather the data a, together with them to have those numbers because Everything that has been going on has been as angels, or it's a very early on in terms of numbers and the venture ecosystem down here. So, and also another problem that we're having, and, and it's not all, only in Ecuador, but I bet everyone's having it, it's the 
geography and the and the nationality of of companies that that those mm-hmm. lines are getting blurred more and more and we as as Ecuador complain in some of the startups but other countries are going to map them also the geography and the nationality of a startup is is really an issue and yeah because so as as you said that the, the the boundaries are going to be blurred and everybody's going to claim that as their own everybody wants to, when you pick up a winner everybody wants to say hey you know they're from here yeah um, of course so, so there's going to be a double count <laughs> uh inevitably so but Then if we focus on your fund, how much, now you mentioned that you have 23 firms in, in your portfolio, how much capital that means, how much capital has been deployed by your fund? Um, deployed, I would say close to 3 million mm-hmm. um, into those 20, 23 companies. And, I, and 80% that of that is in Ecuadorian founders. I, we've also made investments in Peru, Bolivia. Mexico and Colombia founders starting their company in Miami. And so that's a little bit about how we started to test the waters of uh, looking into other geographies to invest in. And that's going to be our focus in, in fund two. Mm-hmm. And also it's, I, I would double click that in terms of Ecuadorian founders, because we can, we've made investments into companies that are, have started uh, with Ecuadorian founders. But in Brooklyn, in Canada, in Brazil. Uh, yeah, it's just scattered everywhere. It's scattered, but most of them are building their tech teams in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also something that we see as, as a positive impact down here. Absolutely. And when I was looking at some of the stats that I was able to find about Ecuadorian venture game, so to speak, there were roughly 315 plus 300 startups that are categorized as startups. Is that correct? Probably you found that in our uh, tech startup radar that we publish quarterly. Uh, we do that very, very, I would, I would say like heads down job as a service to, to the ecosystem from a couple of years yeah. back. And those around 300 startups, I wouldn't say they're vector back. Mm-hmm. It's just evidence that they exist and uh, mm-hmm. not that they have been fundraising of the, or that they have raised capital successfully or even that they're uh, gaining traction quarter after quarter. It's more than what's out there, who's starting what, in what uh, yeah. segments. Uh, so I wouldn't use that as a number of venture-backed companies. But overall uh, firms that a are... Subset of those, a subset of those have, and that's something that that we do look into, but not, not all of those share that, those details with us. Absolutely, absolutely. And just a question overall regarding Ecuador and those 300 companies that are, are listed there by you overall that are operating in that environment. Is it that the lack of access to capital is basically a huge obstacle for those and they are not, do they even know what is venture capital? Because a lot of the entrepreneurs and firms that I have met within Latin America is that they simply say with extreme frustration that, you know, they're profitable, they're, they're, you know, they've been growing month over month, year over year, but they still don't get access to capital in terms of equity or even in, in terms of loans, because there is a lot of uncertainty and extra risks associated with investing in companies in this region. Is that the similar problem in Ecuador? 
Yeah, definitely a lack of access to capital, a lack of proper supply chain in, in capital with early er, early stage funds or angels and then going up the ladder in later stage funds. It, it would be the, the dream to, to have. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't blame it all in terms of to that. I think the startups that have learned to play the game and learned to, to network regionally do get to, to tap into those pockets regionally across the Americas. So it would be ideal to have more angels mm-hmm. be those very early checks in order to for startups to validate and then play the game of raising follow-on rounds and to hit the marks. But I think that there are success stories to have more and more of those role models that teach this game to the new generations of founders is key because mm-hmm. there are paths that they can go through acceleration programs throughout the region, build a a proper network of, if there aren't enough angels in your country of origin, uh, that's the reality here in Ecuador, and to to tap into into other networks and to also know how to uh, not damage your cap table very early on, because that's going to turn you into an unfundable company. some, so there are a bunch of subtleties uh, that can worsen the path for early stage founders. You'd be able to give an example of damaging your cap table early on, just to to trying to understand: is it similar to what we are facing in Europe or in the U.S. or how? What do you typically see when an starter comes into you and is is pitching, and you go for further with your screening process? How how does it typically look like? Ideally, we would like to see a company where founders have most of, of, of the ownership of the company eh, when we're analyzing it. Eh, but in, a, in an ecosystem where angels aren't as sophisticated as we would like them to be, eh, founders get to, in those very early stages, eh, out of desperation probably or lack of knowledge of how to play this game, they accept investment in less than ideal conditions. Giving out too much ownership very early on, eh, we see cases of giving out 51% eh, to, to, a, to an angel, for instance, mm. or to a corporate. And then who, who's going to come in? Eh, what VC is going to come yeah. in eh, to, to a damaged cap fatal such as that, right? So things like that are definitely red flags and deal breakers. So... A founder has to learn the ropes even before they accept their first check in order to make sure that they're not going to become unfundable down the road and not act out of necessity for those initial 100K, 200K. Mm-hmm. That's very, very interesting. Um, and from there, basically, a question regarding the entity structure in terms of Ecuadorian companies, is it like in many parts of South America, is the similar structure that most of the companies that are raising money are, are creating an entity in Delaware or the Caymans or is that the norm yeah, by now? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. That's the norm and it's part of the game I mentioned I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. And we as Buen Trip, we wouldn't invest if it weren't in those 
VC friendly jurisdictions, right? So yeah, some some of them haven't uh, built that structure when we come in and we help them out, point them in the right direction. That's not a problem. Uh, but it's it's the industry standard throughout the region. So it's not it's not it has nothing to do with Ecuador. It's yeah, just absolutely. How, how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. And then just for the European audience mainly, it would be great to to give a to get a better glimpse at what are typically the valuation caps that are are present in, in the rounds that you're involved. You're investing through safes, pre-seed and C stage, right? Um, then what type of value ca valuation caps are you encountering? Okay, so we invest uh, in two different ways through two different avenues. One is in programa that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So that's a standard deal uh, that values companies in 1.2 cap. That's the, our pre-seed investment and it's the earliest we come in. And mm -hmm. then we do analyze uh, deals that come outside El Programa. We call it our community-led community uh, deal flow. When we get warm intros from other VC firms or our portfolio companies, pointers in the direction of other peers. And we, we see companies in seed stage anywhere from three to, I don't know, 12 uh, cap. Um, but there's always a couple that go beyond that. And it, it all depends on, on the eliteness of the founder also, um, their track record, their, their, and their traction with this company. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then what are the current major trends in terms of industries that where, where companies are being founded now in, in Ecuador? Would you be able to give a glimpse to that? What are you seeing? What are we seeing? Uh, I would like to answer that in two, in two ways, because one is what we want to see more of, and two is what we're yep. seeing. Sounds um, good. Our thesis, our investment thesis is focused on investing in B2B software companies that are building the infrastructure layer that would lead to digital transformation in the region. So that's what we like to see more, just like... There's infrastructure lacking in, in, in the real world in terms of roads, connectivity, water, you name it. There's, of course, there's an infrastructure layer in terms of software that that's, we're looking to, to build with, with the companies that we're going to fund. In terms of what we're seeing, it's funny because we see startups come in waves. Every year there's a trend. Last year we analyzed a couple of payroll companies. The year before that, we analyzed a bunch of logistics last mile companies. So it's like they come in waves and we get to see that through our radar that we mm -hmm. publish. And also we get to see that in, in the in programa call out for application. But more and more, we're seeing more of what we like. And it's companies that get to build this infrastructure and get to be integrated among them. To, to provide a better, better service to e-commerce. So there's mm -hmm. the logistic arm, there's the, the communications part, there, there's the fintech side of things. So, and within the portfolio, we're seeing companies not only collaborate as founders and help each other out when they're, when they're having difficulties, but also 
integration between their their products to have a, a more robust value prop and and they can pursue bigger clients together. They can integrate transversely and have better outcome when dealing with corporates and, and their clients when it's B2B, right? Absolutely. And from there, you mentioned that B2B players that are accelerating the dig digital transformation of Ecuador and the region. What does a digital transformation mean in Ecuador or from your lenses? Because countries have very different stages of development. And in these regards, what these type of digital transformation opportunities also exist in, in Ecuador? In Ecuador, well, Ecuador is a very good testing ground for startups. And, and not only startups, but actually corporates that want to test out new products or test out new, new marketing strategies. And that's, that's because Ecuador has a great diversity in a very small country with with a small population city behaves very differently mm -hmm. and each culture within a city is very very differently so very much like Bogota and Guayaquil is very similar to Lima there are things in between in Cuenca so if something works out in Ecuador it will very likely work out throughout the region mm -hmm. and, and, and founders get to get to test out the waters in a very forgiving ecosystem. We still fly below the radar in Ecuador. So if something really doesn't work out, then you just pivot and, and, and you're not shattered and your reputation is still intact. So, um, I would say that it's Ecuador is not very different from the rest of the region, but has the, all of these particular characteristics that, that make it very, very uh, good testing ground. Um, mm -hmm. Even, I don't know, Uber tests out new features of, of, their, of their product in Ecuador to see whether they, they deploy it throughout the region. Waze, years back, launched in Ecuador and then scaled it, scaled it throughout the, the region. Yeah, absolutely. Just out of curiosity, some of the, the stats from, from Ecuador as a, as a country, you mentioned you have a small population. This is roughly um, a little bit over 18 million, 18.2 million, roughly, uh, mm -hmm. the population. Your GDP per capita, 21, that I was able to find was a little bit less than 6,000 US dollars. Um, are you seeing, in, you know, country-level growth, um, social upboard mobility in terms of social classes that will create tremendous demand for certain sectors? certain products and services that come out of this new group, new population that has new needs. How's that trajectory looking for Ecuador as a whole from the economical point of view? Well, I'm not uh, an economics pro, but I, I, I look at the landscape with hope and, and what you mentioned, social mobility, and, and actually the makeup of the country uh, in terms mm -hmm. of how it's split. Of those uh, roughly 18 million, uh, both Quito and Guayaquil have the, have the same population. It's one year we come out in Quito on top and, and the next year Guayaquil. So it's, it's very homogeneous, I would say. It's not so centralized like other countries where mm -hmm. if you're not in the capital, then you're, you're doing nothing in terms of 
the quality of jobs and and what you get access to. So it's despite all the political eh, hiccups we've had throughout the years, Ecuador continues to to be I don't know heads down working. Eh, it's it's a it's a very as I mentioned earlier like a, a very forgiving for the good and the bad. We we have yeah. short term memory problems because we we keep stepping into the same into the same hole <laughs> but yeah. it's it's a forgiving it's a forgiving way of living i would say and that i went in the other direction of your of your question but i look uh, at the future hopeful of this this country providing better jobs more and better jobs and technology plays a huge part in that we don't want to continue to be known for export of petroleum bananas and shrimp we want to at least digitalize those industries and be known for exporting brains and software and i i i bet that's the the dream of most of our countries in in south america Yes, and from there we can jump on into a cultural aspect of technology. Of course, we have very different stages of technology adoption uh, within countries in South America. Um, number one question would be that: What is that status currently in Ecuador in terms of that population? How well um, technology has been adopted? And number two would be that: Is it socially acceptable? Is it socially cool to go to work for startups, for technology companies, or is it still like a lot of people in Brazil are still educating their their kids and wanting to push their kids to be lawyers and 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 bankers and very traditional you know roles? How is tech mm-hmm. perceived um, in in Ecuador? I think it's starting to change, but it's as you described. Universities are graduating a bunch of lawyers, a bunch of doctors, marketeers, and and really computer science. I don't know what where it, it hits the rankings in terms of graduates, and it it's also different of what university you see, right? But usually the careers come from not the the high classes or or the more established. In families, let's say, it's more of an aspirational career, and and that is still, I think, a problem because the tech guy in a company is not invited to the board meeting, right? Because it's a closed circle. The board meetings are made up of finance guys, lawyers, marketeers, and if that happens in big corporates or in big SMEs. Children of those people are not going to study technology. So mm-hmm. it's something that I think has to change. And the more, it, it, throughout the past six years that I've been around in this world, I think it's starting to change. And working at a startup is something that's cool. Uh, I, I, I see a bunch of people that are shifting careers that, that have worked in the corporate world for years then say, well, I'm going to sacrifice my monthly income, but I want to join a startup. And that's something that really didn't happen six years ago. So I'm very, very hopeful that that mobility is going to happen more and more. And that more of the high school graduates are going to choose 
computer science and tech and tech uh, careers down the road. And that has to happen from middle class upward in order for founders to be well-perceived and also for the tech guys and girls within larger companies to, to be more valued and, and for the craft to be more valued, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. We're still going back into the level of tech adoption within Ecuador, are people by now, what do you say, extremely digitally native or is it is is internet connection easily available throughout the country? Just basic things that how is mm-hmm. the level to to understand tech? Um, are they be, have they been using? Have they been educating themselves? What's going on on there? It's a mobile first landscape. So mm-hmm. it tech gets consumed through mobile. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone has a smartphone. Almost everyone has connectivity of some sort. Phones are getting better and have more capacity. So at the beginning, at the, the beginning of my life <laughs> in this world, I would make the metaphor that if you're building an, an app for the for the lower income segment. Yes, of course, everyone has a phone, but they have a phone that where you're competing, it's like real estate, right? So your app is competing with the picture of the grandson in terms of capacity of that phone, or it's competing with Facebook. So it's real estate in that screen, but now more and more. I don't know if I explain myself correctly in terms mm-hmm. of, if you see the icons in a smartphone, if you have a lower tier smartphone, it's not going to be able to to hold up a more than Facebook and pictures and yeah. maybe another app that's the bank. But yeah. you're not going to build an app for a vitamin a startup that's not really a, a painkiller and have proper adoption because of, of mm-hmm. connectivity and not only connectivity, but actually the capacity of those phones. But now uh, yeah, more that's, phones that's are becoming more and more robust in terms of a capacity and connectivity is becoming better. So I think that's an evolution that's happening, but it's a mobile first landscape economy. So that's how things should start. And because everyone has a phone, but almost no one has more than, than that device. But that's more into B2C, right? But everything trickles down to B2C. Thanks for sharing, Carmen. I, I think that's super fascinating to hear. And it's a lot of the times we forget those differences. We're so accustomed to live in our own mental bubbles. And we, we think that everybody lives the same way that we live our lives, even though no, we know that that's not the reality. But it's still, we tend to forget that you might not even have the same capacity, even though you have the same device as a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That was super fascinating to hear. Um, and as a last final note, would you be able to give a little prediction of Ecuadorian tech? Where it will be in 2030s? It's a very open, broad question, but mm-hmm. what are you seeing and thinking? So I would say that Ecuador for now has been the region's best well-kept secret. And it's not going to be that in the next couple of years. And by... 
the next 10 years, I would say that we're going to have a next unicorn. We all already have Pushki as the, as the one that opened that door for a bunch of others to come. And we're going to have a couple of massive, massively valuable companies coming from Ecuador. We're, we're seeing great things from our portfolio companies. Just to mention a few, Outscore, eh, Airpods, eh, Authority, um, in terms of Ecuadorian founders doing, doing great, great things. Also giving back to the ecosystem, because I think it's key eh, for those role models that are going to become the next, maybe not unicorns, but massive, massively valuable companies to give back, to give back in. And as I started, contactos, conocimiento y capital, mm -hmm. for them to become the next angel investors, uh, for them to... to Be a beacon of for, hope for everybody else to start venturing. Yeah, totally. And to, for them to open up their, their contacts, uh, pave the way for, for the next generation of founders. So these startups that are growing today are going to be the... the academies for, for the next founders, the mentors for, for the next companies. And I, I, I see that we're going to have more than a couple of, of those role models that help us in Apple Deep do the heavy lifting. Absolutely. Um, so it's like uh, the, the hidden gem has been found, the diamond has been found, and now the polishing work starts. And then there you go. Yep. Well, thanks a lot, Carmen, for sharing your story and your perspectives on, on what's happening in, in the tech ecosystem from Ecuadorian lenses, so to speak. Thanks a lot for, for sharing these. Truly appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me.